a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, the doctor is in. It's advanced medicine time. Dr. Batar, welcome back. Happy holidays. Here we are in December already. Can you believe it, Robert? Already December 2014. One more month and we are in 2015. Yeah, I think, I think I've digested the turkey by now. I'm good to go. But yeah, it's just one of the faster years of fast years we've been uh, hanging out together. Yeah, I think, didn't we start the show in February 2011? I believe that's correct, yes. So we'll be starting our fifth year in two months. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. The kind of information out there. By the way, if you're new to the Robert Scott Bell Show, medicalrewind.com has every one of them. You can go back and listen. Easy access, direct access to it. Uh, and, you know, I, you could probably put three books out just from all the audio we have together talking about these things. Well, we've, uh, we've started going back through, and uh, one of my IT guys, uh, as you know, is uh, creating a podcast from them all. So they're actually being sent out to subscribers now, and we're just doing some cleanup editing. And Nice, nice. So it'll be good. Over Excellent. Well, hours far. welcome to everybody that's new. You've got a long way to catch up, but, but I'm telling you, it's well worth the time to do it. And as we kick into, uh, you know, as you said, maybe our first fifth year, boy, oh, boy, uh, here we are wrapping up the fourth then. Uh, there's a story here about daycare centers and vaccination related and when i read this headline uh, you know ever the optimist that i am i immediately thought wow people are really waking up because they you know the headline basically reads let me see if i can see it a survey 74 percent might pull kids from daycare over vaccines and i was thinking Wow, these daycare centers that are forcing everybody to vaccinate, the, the parents are finally going, no, we're not going to send our kids there. Well, it turned out it's the opposite. It's three out of four parents said they would consider taking their child out of daycare if they found out that other kids attending were not up to date on vaccination. So maybe we haven't come as far as we thought. Well, it also goes to show that when people are brainwashed to thinking that the children are protected, and then they will not send the children in to these daycare centers because of children that may not have been vaccinated shows a level of confidence that the parents really have in the vaccination program. And that's really where the whole problem lies because even the proponents of getting vaccinations right. still say that there's a risk from children not having the vaccines. And so the reasonably intelligent individual has to ask the question, okay, if your vaccines work, mm -hmm. then why would you be afraid of the children that have not been vaccinated? Because anybody who should be afraid should be the child that's not vaccinated. And of course, Robert, you and I have been saying this for years, that it's actually yeah. an argument that is a, a foolish argument, and yet the masses get blinded by people you know, making this this uh, rationale that, oh, your child not being vaccinated puts everybody else at risk, and yet the one person that should be at risk is a child that hasn't been vaccinated, and everybody else that they're concerned about getting mm -hmm. exposed to a child that hasn't been vaccinated is theoretically protected because they have been vaccinated. Now, of course, you and I know the truth. Right. The truth is that the child that has been vaccinated is immunosuppressed, 
Right. They're more susceptible to actually getting um, the infectious pathogen because not only is their immune system been damaged and or uh, you know exposed to an attenuated virus or whatever the case may be, but then it's also got various other DNA adducts. It's got the formaldehyde, the nickel, the tin, the mercury, all these other DNA adducts, et cetera, et cetera, mutated human cell lines within their system, within the vaccine. And so their systems have a greater burden. And so they will not be able to uh, deal with the infectious process as well as a child who hasn't been vaccinated. And they really are going to be far more, from, from, a, from a resistance standpoint, far more resistant to any type of infectious process than a child that has been vaccinated. So but, we, we may be making progress because even though they're not aware of what they're aware of, right, by being afraid of the unvaccinated child, which means that they really don't have faith in the vaccines that they place their faith in, uh, we, st- we still have that one level of cognitive dissonance removed from total wake-up going, wait a second, <laughs> why, why right. am I worried about this? And if I am, there's something wrong here. That, that's exactly right. It is one degree of separation from that because they're not quite yet sure. It just takes them one more step, and then they'll start getting the logic. Wait a second. Either my child is protected or if it's not protected, then why the heck am I getting the child vaccinated and my child vaccinated anyway? But here's the other c- component, the one that I find even more interesting, mm-hmm. is that if there's 74% might pull kids from the daycare over vaccines, then that means that there's 36% that wouldn't. Now, does that mean that those 36% have great faith in the vaccine program? Mm-hmm. Or does it mean that, you know, what, what's going on there? That, that's yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Now, interestingly, over the holidays, I had a spirited conversation with another medical doctor, a female. She's in her 30s. And it was about the vaccine issue because she declared her practically undying devotion to vaccines. And she did use religious terminology. She said, I believe in vaccines. And then I proceeded to uh, uh, dismantle her beliefs one by one by one. And she it was good. She was not taking it like I was attacking her. It was a spirited, animated, but fun conversation. And she was cool. I have to give her props. She didn't run away. She didn't scream and yell at me. And every time I uh, dismantled an argument, she said, but I still believe in vaccine vaccinations. And I said, do you hear yourself? You are part of a religious cult. And she, she like shook her head and she was not pleased about it, but I have to give her again. She didn't run away screaming. And it was just an interesting thing to realize that even the medical doctors or maybe especially the medical doctors have a faith and a belief in it. They haven't really investigated the science. I think doctors inherently hide behind the mantle of research and evidence-based medicine, yet very, very, very few, and I would say less than 3%, mm-hmm. actually read the the medical literature. Because if they did, they would see enough evidence contradicting what their religious belief or what their belief is. For example, when doctors say, well, there's no scientific evidence of heavy metals you know, related to pathogenesis, to, to chronic disease. And then, of course, I show these slides in the cardiac DVD that uh, you narrated and some mm-hmm. of these other DVDs. We have all the documentation, for example, in the New England Journal of Medicine, a direct correlation between myocardial infarction and the toenail clipping levels of mercury. And this was published in 2003 or 2004. So they found a direct relationship between the level of mercury found in the body as measured in toenail clippings and heart attacks with the inverse correlation hexanoic acid. There are also other studies uh, that were published in the American Journal of Cardiology in 1999 that showed that patients 
patients have died of idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy, and I believe we've talked about this on the air before, which is basically a fancy term for congestive heart failure that affects the younger patient population. So when you hear about the uh, football player that died suddenly during practice, that that patient died or that uh, individual died of idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy. Again, notice the terms. Idiopathic means that yes. they don't know. But when, when they did the biopsy on the myocardium, on the heart tissue, they found that the heart tissue had 12,000 times the level of antimony as found in any other part of the body and 22,000 times the level of mercury within the heart tissue compared to anywhere else in the body, which is just absolutely not normal. This was only in the patients that died of idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy. Now, so to make sure that people get this under, they understand this 22,000 times, 22,000 times is 2.2 million percent higher than what is considered normal in anywhere else in the body. 2.2 million percent. And, and of course, because it's so significant, it can't be real because they're dealing with their peer-reviewed literature. If they ever do review it for a drug, you know, one, two, three percent effective, and that's somehow significant. This is 2.2 million times. Like, no, we can't conceive of that. Right, and this is not new information. This is 1999. That's 15 years ago, and that remember, this was 15 years ago they had published. So that means it was another five years before that that they gathered this data. And instead of people over the last 15 years becoming more evolved and more aware, mm -hmm. it's just become more of a battle. Uh, and if they are, uh, the individual public yeah. has started to become aware, but the medical profession remains archaic and entrenched within their, as you said, you know, religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. The religiosity of this is, is actually pretty fascinating because when you first said that to me, I remember thinking a couple of years back, I thought about that and I thought, hmm, that's an interesting correlation. But the more I see of it, and even when you go back and historically look at religion and look at medicine, yeah. they're very, very entrenched. Well, and Liam Sheff is our good buddy with Official Stories, has written a lot about this, how this, for the, particularly for the liberal, liberal intelligentsia who kind of abandoned traditional, more religions, Judeo-Christian type religions, Islam, etc., they went into the religion of science. And that became their holy grail. And vaccines are a sacrament in that church. And they don't realize it, but they like to say, well, we're smarter than you. Science knows more than you. Yet this so-called science is so filled with corruption that when you start to peel back the layers, it's it's as false as many of these uh, 501c3 mega churches that would deceive you with great words. And then in the, in the back rooms, they're counting the money. Yeah, it, it, I was just going to say it's the same thing as a religion. Religion is very, very um, well. What, what's the right word for it? I, I, I don't. How would we make the distinction between a spiritual path and a religion that's based on you know profiting off of the naivete of the followers? I mean, there is a distinction. We understand deeply held religious convictions and beliefs, but again, modern medicine is supposed to be it's supposed to be right. Well, we're not about religion. We're not about beliefs. We're about here are the facts, and we're just we're just sticking to the facts. But they're not. Yeah, the, there is a, you know at the risk of being blasphemous here, the concept of religion. My my second major in college was theology, as you know, Robert, and um, so I've kind of delved a lot into this in my early years in college. But Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain said that religion is a man-made institution. So if we use that as the basis of our argument, mm -hmm. that, that theorem that religion is a man-made institution. And we know that all the monotheistic religions, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, they believe that man was um, 
Oh, hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're up on a break. Cliffhanger. We're going to get back to Dr. Batar's thoughts here. It is something called World AIDS Fraud Day as well. We'll get into that. At least I call it that. And uh, you're listening to Advanced Medicine, MedicalRewind.com. We are on at GCN, GCNlive.com, Natural News Radio, etc. And we've got lots more healing to go. For FDA-approved radio, you're listening to the wrong show. This is the Robert Scott Bell Show. of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. You brought up Samuel Clemens, Dr. Batar, or, or otherwise they know him as uh, Mark Twain, uh, talking about the man-made concept of, of religion. Again, you say about being blasphemous, and I like to make the distinction between a 501c3 church, religion, synagogue, mosque, whatever, that is granted special privileges by government because that's what they've asked for, for being tax-exempt. And then suddenly they're beholden to the government, which seems kind of the antithesis of what the First Amendment was about, you know, the Bill of Rights, that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. There was a distinction and even a separation. didn't mean you couldn't be spiritual and be in government, but there wasn't a state-sanctioned religion, but we have one, and it's modern medicine. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. So going back to that original thought that I had, uh, which was that all the monotheistic religions believe that man, and I'll ask this question, do they believe that man was created perfect or man was created imperfect? So from your traditional education, Robert, what what was man created as? Imperfect, right? Well, they call him an imperfect being. Yeah, that's right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So if man is created imperfect, as all the monotheistic religions believe, which basically comprises probably... I would say probably half the half the planet, or maybe two thirds of the planet. Right. Um, but you, you exclude Buddhism and Hinduism, um, then basically you've got the entire the world's populations created off these three monotheistic religions and Buddhism, Hinduism. So if man is created imperfect, and if you st- start from that theorem from Samuel Clemens that man, uh, religion is a man-made institution, but then by definition, anything that man creates, because man is Imperfect by definition must be also imperfect. Therefore, religion is imperfect. Um, and again, I'm just using the logic and using you know connection. You you can't be using deductive reasoning here. What's up with that? Yeah, well, you know the, the nice thing is though, again, we're not coming to that conclusion ourselves. We're using very <laughs> wise minds such as Samuel Clemens to come up with these deductions. But now, if you start to look at that premise, by definition, if all religion is imperfect, then we can't look at religion. Um, and again, we're talking about religion here in its absolute sense. We can't look at religion as the answer. And medicine is actually the biggest religion, I believe, right now, because it is the one mm-hmm. that doesn't create wars. Okay, It is the one common religious concept that doesn't create wars. Everything else, again, the politicians will cre- create and accentuate these Differences, You know, when you start looking at the Torah and you look at the Bible and you look at the Quran and you look at the stories and you look at the characters and you look at the lessons and the mottos 
uh, all those components are virtually all identical. For example, the huge, huge discrepancy that's accentuated in the in the differences that are magnified between Islam and Christianity. Yet, to be a true Muslim, you must believe uh, in the virginal birth of Christ, because in the Quran it talks about that. Yet, how many Muslims know that? How many Christians know that Muslims uh, believe that? I mean, probably very, very few. But the point is that the politicians and those that have a vested interest will accentuate those differences and magnify them so that they can start to uh, take one population and uh, oppose, have them oppose the other population and you know under whatever pretense of uh, superiority, better belief, whatever this, that, the others, others are heathens, they're non-believers, whatever the case may be. Right. But you, and so that's how these wars start. That's how the conflicts start. That's how crusades have happened, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In fact, yeah, well, the concept of convert or die. Exactly. And in, all, in fact, more people have died in the name of God than in any other cause, which is pretty unbelievable if you start thinking about that. And in fact, that fall, forms the basis of my um, spiritual toxicity, the seventh toxicity. Right. So now if you start looking at medicine, it's very interesting that they've taken the same concept behind religion, yet instead of magnifying the differences, what they've done is they've unified all the population into one religion, which is the religion of modern medicine. Nice. Hey, vaccinations. You, Dr. Batar, nicely said. You painted a picture I was going to get to. I said, you know, the one religion that has infiltrated pretty much all of the world's religions, of course, with some exception, is modern medicine. Because if you look at the vast majority of Jews and Christians, perhaps even Muslims, depending on where they're from, they have adopted modern medicine the rest of the week. If they go to worship one day a week, the rest of the week, you know, they put their faith in modern medicine, as we've talked about, the doctors yeah. putting their faith in vaccinations. And it's interesting how they have infiltrated and just true to the, you know, the, the worst part of religion where, you know, you do religious wars, you kill people in the name of God. In modern medicine, at least in America, the stats we know bare minimum 106,000, but reality, we're probably closing in on a million deaths a year due to FDA approved pharmaceutical medical medicine. So With they're the killing people usage, as if there were wars. That's not even side effects. That's just the appropriate usage of those medications. Well, yeah, exactly. So let, well, let's take another break here. Fascinating discussion as always. Dr. Batar is here. His international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. It's all linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll continue with this and a whole lot more after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Of radio, it's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you ever miss an episode of the Robert Scott Bell Show, particularly the one we do every Monday, kick on off the week with Doctor Batar. Go to medicalrewind.com. Of course, around the web, many people learn of us through, of course, our syndicator GCN and naturalnewsradio.com. We are now found on TuneIn, which is an app that's evolved in many cars now that are coming out with Wi-Fi enabled, so they can listen in the cars. Uh, iTunes. Stitcher Podcast, Epic Times, Jerry Doyle, and UK Health Radio. Around the world, we are a, a traveling, Dr. Batar, even when we're home, which is not often, it seems like. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that they were in, that we were actually in the cars now, too. 
Yeah, the TuneIn app, we just found out that we're plugged into that. We didn't realize it till a couple of weeks ago, and that is one of the apps that has made its inroads into the the, the later editions, the newer cars that are all technologically connected. So uh, people are having an easier and easier time listening to us all over the place. So that's really cool. Very cool. Now, continuing on our religion of medicine concept, I wanted to come back to you know, death by modern medicine, Dr. Carolyn Dean, Nolan, et cetera, you know, it said 784,000 Americans die every year. Uh, and that's, as you said, for the most part, proper use, if you will, of medicines. And when you start adding that up on an annual basis, you say, well, we're well superseding even the religious wars of, of, of eons ago or even decades ago. So that that religion has now superseded all other religions in terms of its ability to kill, but under the guise of helping you of bringing you medical salvation. And that is the the great untold still horrific story of what this modern medical monopoly has brought us. Yeah, and it's uh, using the same rationale except the opposite extreme. And, you know, if it wasn't so sinister, it would be ingenious. From a marketing aspect, it's ingenious the way it's been played out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it comes back to that old adage of how do you cook a frog? You put it in water and you slowly turn up the heat. And before the frog knows it, the frog is already boiled. Why don't you just throw him in the water? Because he'll hop right out of boiling water. So, you know, the slow, steady change and acceptance, you know, we go from uh, the polio vaccines and and, and the virus hunters and slowly start to bring in the flu vaccine and then the swine flu and then the H1N1 and now Ebola and it just continuously accentuates and accelerates the fear mongering and then you start bringing more and more vaccines and you start creating more um, detriment in in the healthcare so they're slowly over the last probably 25 30 years I guess the national vaccine initiative started in 1991 so we're about 23 years out from there if you just look at the childhood vaccines but all these other vaccines of uh, you know, for uh, various types of diseases, infectious disease processes have steadily been increasing over the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. And so- yeah. And in talking with that doctor friend, uh, you know, as I related the fact that these diseases, for the most part, smallpox, polio were on the way out, almost gone by the time the vaccines were introduced. And yet the history is rewritten to claim that the vaccines were responsible for the eradication, which is nonsense. As we know, cases that happen after the fact, they rename. Uh, we mentioned smallpox being called monkeypox or vaccinia uh, and the polio, post-polio syndrome, uh, Guillain-Barre, other paralysis-type uh, scenarios, neurological degradation, etc. And, and yet they have be- you know, they've had good PR throughout the 20th century into the early 21st. Their PR has been better than anybody else's. So the homeopaths can't you know, beat their PR machine down. The herbalists can't beat their PR machine down. There's natural medicines around the world that have been addressing these ailments and illnesses and infections successfully. Uh, but it's as if they don't exist. And if you bring them up, you know, you're looked at in a strange way. Again, that's changing, but we still have the ignorance of these doctors. Uh, I'm happy when they're at least open to the discussion, uh, but I won't hang around long if they're not. Well, it's it's hard to talk to a brick wall sometimes, and mm-hmm. that's one reason I choose not to because, you know, the question is if you engage an idiot in a conversation, <laughs> then who is the idiot? Is it you or is it the person <laughs> you're engaging in? Because, you know, you can't – you can argue with the brick wall, but what's the point of arguing with a brick wall? So I just don't even engage with them. 
Well, yes, you're very smart that way, I have to say. (laughs) You know, the other idiocy thing here to bring up is, of course, December 1st every year has been designated World AIDS Day. I call it World AIDS Fraud Day. Uh, Not that we don't uh, acknowledge that there is immune deficiency on this planet. There are uh, subgroups within certain folks that are being hammered for certain reasons and their immune system is collapsing. But to to, make, to lay claim or to make claim that there is a retrovirus that they may never have even caught in the act of doing anything and that they rely upon tests that do not detect the very thing they claim causes it, uh, you know, we've got an absurdity of absurdities. And of course, President uh, the presidents have been playing along since the 90s uh, from Clinton on forward to Bush to uh, uh, now, of course, uh, who's the guy? Obama, yes. And he signed another proclamation, do everything you can to, to uh, you know, acknowledge those who have died of the so-called HIV slash AIDS when there is no HIV. Yeah, I actually had a recently just um, a patient of mine who actually learned about our clinic through the show, Robert, um, that came to us because he had been diagnosed with HIV. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he steadily deteriorated. He wasted away and um, actually about two months ago apparently died. I hadn't seen him since probably June, May or June, but um, a young guy in his mid-20s. And, you know, what's interesting is that you look at this individual and one of the reasons he came to me was because he had read Liam's book. He is a big follower on the show and uh, obviously, you didn't know I was going to bring this up. You know, this is like usual. We don't rehearse anything. So mm-hmm. um, when I found out that he had passed on, you know, it was a very sad feeling. But I want people to understand that when we're talking about that there's no HIV, yes. we're not saying that there's not a syndrome where people start to waste away. And this is the thing. When Correct. I had, uh, you know, a very big history of uh, drug usage, he had been involved in um, very um, pr- a very promiscuous lifestyle earlier on and uh, and I think Liam does a pretty nice job painting the picture and explaining really what happens yeah how and, how the community particularly the gay population had decimated their immune system by destroying their gut uh, ecology and 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 epithelial integrity etc and then the compounding, and I know the patient you're talking about, a, a nice man who was, you know, really trying to fight out of the construct, the limitations of his family members and right. his friends and the medical community that were all telling him he was dying of HIV when he began to see that it wasn't that. He wanted to rebuild his life, but he had literally no support system from what I could understand as well. And that comes to a very big, you know, a dilemma when you have no ability to care for yourself and the people around you are in fear and forcing you into a life of drugs if not they don't support you in a life of rebuilding naturally if you will uh it's it's just compounding the initial problem well that's true too but there's another issue too uh, at a certain point mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult to rebuild regardless right. of the support that you have and this is like saying that well understanding that vaccines for example the, the damage that's caused by vaccines for example is like ha- having a forest and the spark that caused the forest fire is a vaccine but the burning has nothing to do with the vaccine the burning is the initiation of the cascade that the that the poison started so you can now take that spark away you can take the spark that caused the fire away but the fire is still burning it's, it's and, de- it's, and it's continuing to decimate and damage yes exactly and then no. if you can put the fire out 
even then, once you put the fire out, you've still got a damaged forest. Now you have to replant the seeds and provide nourishment and sunlight and water so that now the new plants can grow. So there's a whole cascade just by saying, oh, I took the spark away. Mm-hmm. doesn't stop the far, forest fires. Just think about a match that caused a forest fire and you say, well, I took the match away. Well, that doesn't stop the forest fire and it certainly doesn't rebuild the trees. It still causes a lot of damage. And yeah. so even though the sky may have not had the support system, let's say he had the best support system in the world, at a certain point, the damage is so extensive and the cascade is so far initiated that it is very difficult to reverse that progressive uh, avalanche. It's like sure. trying to literally stop an avalanche you know, in, in mid-avalanche. Well, in those scenarios, I look at it as like you've got really a 0.1 leeway. You've got no leeway. You, you've got to be in a total institution of recovery with you know, taking every stress out of the equation that is humanly possible. And even then, it's a difficult task. And I know what you're saying because you know, lo- I've lost friends in that battle that had been decimated by the medical treatment and tra- fought their way back, but it just was too little too late. And, of course, then the establishment will say, well, see, they died of HIV. No, they died of what you did to their bodies after you told them they had something called HIV, even though the test could not detect it. And that's exactly right. The the immuno, the, the drugs that they're on um, further pour gasoline in the fire that's already been initiated from just the lifestyle and all the other aspects. It's a terrible cascade to uh, you know go down, the terrible spiraling effect once it started it's very difficult to stop that domino effect from continuing yeah and the the point of bringing it up of course is that those people in the 90s that had died of aids by and large had died of the treatment for aids at the time it was azt which you know liam goes into extensively in the book official stories that was a devastating chemo drug that was too too toxic for cancer patients and of course they brought it back out for people with no immune systems which makes a whole hell of a lot of sense not and then they modulated downward the dosage so that it appeared that now people were having more success in living longer, but they basically just reduced the amount of toxins they threw at any given time at these bodies. And still we go come back to the basic concepts of the nine steps to, to keep the doctor away, although more in more devastating scenarios where it becomes even more critical. And as I say, you have less leeway with that kind of devastation in your body. Yeah, definitely your margin of error is far less. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to is how you live your life today and tomorrow is going to determine how long your life is going to, you know, how long you're going to live on this planet. But even more importantly, the quality of your life while you're on this planet. So to kind of bring this back into focus, think of a person that is engaged in regular weight resistant and aerobic activity well some people may say they're doing it for vanity some people they're doing say that they're doing it because they want to look good whatever the reasons are but in actuality the reason that you should be exercising is that when your body is put under uh, undue stress will it be able to survive for example god forbid you have a heart attack well some people say why would you have a heart attack okay you're riding down the road on your bicycle you're in a car you get involved with a motor vehicle accident People that have been routinely exercising that are involved with weight-resistant training, that are involved with cardiac uh, type of activity, you know, where there's increasing cardiac. Right. uh, Those people can deal with less blood. They can lose more blood and survive. They can deal with more trauma to their body to survive because their bodies have been conditioned. Yes, resilience is the word I hear coming from you. They're more resilient. Listen, we got to take a break here. What another fascinating discussion here doing the Medical Rewind with Dr. Batar, Advanced Medicine. And, of course, the links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll be back to wrap it up after this. 
Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, Dr. Vitar, at the risk of uh, diving into even more controversial territory, it wasn't bad enough that we talked religion and politics and the scam of AIDS, what it isn't as opposed to what it really is. Uh, <laughs> you, you sent me a link. I guess somebody sent you this link about Chris Rock, uh, the comedian, saying how not to get beat up by the police if you happen to have more pigment than the average American. Yeah. And toward the end, it got to a point where I said, "Oh my gosh, there's a story Superdon found for us to cover." And and this is a, here's a quote from the headline: "The po- police quote uh, or colon man fled crash to avoid yelling girlfriend." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that kind of fits into what Chris Rock was trying to say." Basically, if your lady is mad at you, don't take her out in your car if you plan to get pulled over. If there's even a remote chance of getting pulled over. Because she might start yelling to the officer because she's just mad at you. He's got weed. He's got weed, officer. Go get him. Yeah, so to put this into context, um, the story of the, the Chris Rock video actually talks about, you know, what you should and what you shouldn't do. For example, be polite to the officer. You know, if you come across and you get out of the car and you're yelling and screaming and cursing and reach for something, then obviously you, the police are going to give you, as he puts it, an ass whooping yeah. versus, you know, if you're polite and he goes through the do's and the don'ts and and it's really actually pretty funny because he goes through everything and, and they do the dramatization of what you should do and then what you shouldn't do and for example, he said, if you're going to give your, a friend a ride, you know, you check your friend to make sure he doesn't have any weapons, he doesn't have any uh, cocaine or any drugs. And no warrants. Warrants. And he said, be smart. And preferably pick a white friend. <laughs> I gotta tell you, Chris Rock just goes after it. And then in this article, you're thinking, how did he know? The police in New Jersey say a man told officers he fled the scene of an auto accident because he, quote, didn't want to deal with his girlfriend yelling at him. <laughs> right. Uh. And that, that was the last factor in the Chris Rock thing was that if you're if your girlfriend, wife is with you and she's mad at you, you know, and she's screaming at you and the officer pulls you over, she's likely to just, just because she wants to see you get your butt whooped, right. you know, she's likely to say something. So, um, again, that's a loose association that we kind of brought that story in, but I thought it was kind of funny. Right. So we've made, we've, we've angered the, uh, the religious folks. We've angered the, the AIDS folks. We've angered now the ladies. Uh, so we've really done a triumvirate here. Uh, <laughs> Ail- yeah. We've alienated pretty much everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, this is talk radio. This is what we're supposed to do. No, take it in good fun. But at the same time, ladies, if you're with your, uh, other half, don't yell and scream that he's got weed just because you're mad at him if he gets pulled over, particularly if you're in a state that doesn't, you know, allow it yet, and because there are states like that. So, uh, anyway, very interesting how that goes. But yeah, the 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 battle of the sexes, so to speak, it it takes to new levels of absurd levels. But uh, there are issues like this in real life, and we like to make light of it. But at the same time, yes, calm, uh, polite, you're less likely to get your aspirin whooped. Yeah, a- and you know the thing is that. There's been a lot of uh, attacking of, the, of those police officers, but you know you start looking at it in context. So the guy robbed some place. He reached for something, and 
the police officer shot him. Now, obviously, that wasn't appropriate, but that's what they're trained to do is, you know, when they have to defend themselves. Now, of course, in the case of that recent shooting with a 12-year-old child got shot, I mean, that officer should be hung out to dry. Yeah. I mean, well, you shoot a child because a child is, you know, that, so there's got to be some level. And they've got a tough job. There's no doubt about it. And I think part of this is a fear-mongering that has been created from the powers that be. And so yes. the, the police officers are jumpy. You're, you're right. I mean, it's an adversarial relationship from the get-go. And, you know, there was a time in the past where it was a little bit more clear. You know, there was a respect. There was a, a, a you know, a healthier interaction with the police officers. Maybe they were even called peace officers at a time. But right now, there is a heightened tension and there is an agenda from certain powers that be that want to see this ratcheting up of the violence because it will beget more violence and will beget more police state mentality and really restrictions on freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So people do need to remember that they, when you when you're in a situation like that, think of the other side too and what they're what they're kind of going through. But at the same time, that's not justification or giving them a carte blanche to use abusive power either. So mm-hmm. it's just we just have to be cognizant of their situation and and uh, make exactly. sure that we make their job easier so that we don't. So that we distinguish ourselves from the criminals. Yeah, oh yeah, do our level best to do so. Anyway, Chris Rock, we've got it linked up if you want to check out the video. It, it does have some swear words, so uh, parents, if you, you know, be, be uh, discretionary with your kids. All right, well, that's it. Another great show. Go to medicalrewind.com. Of course, we have links up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com, including to Dr. Batar's international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And if you haven't gotten it, that's your homework between now and next week's show. Dr. Batar, thanks. Tell them what we got to tell them. That the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.